All right, Baruch Hashem. And so Baruch, Baruchim, Habayim to everyone, and like to welcome you to tonight's class. So I really want to cover a section of master plan and cover a few uh, points of uh, awareness before them, and also to uh, relook at some of the aspects of prophecy uh, from the drosh because Purim is actually a pivotal time in the link of prophecy. So uh, I want to get into the handbook a little bit and into the drosh notes. So without further ado, we're going to begin with our blessing for the Torah. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen so that way we're all on the same page, literally. And why don't we make this full screen? There we go. Take that away. All right. Reading the Ivrit, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kedishanu B'Mitzvotah V'Tzibanu Lasok V'Divrei Torah, V'Harevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka V'Finu Ufiamka V'Et Yisrael, V'Nieh Anaknu V'Tzetzeinu V'Tzetzeamka V'Et Yisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka V'Londei Torateka Lishma, Baruch Atah Adonai Hamlame Torah Le'Amo Yisrael. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bachar banu mikol haamim, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-torah. We want Mashiach now. Okay, so I want to go back over here to uh, our little Purim uh, notes that we have here. So... Go back to share, boom. All right, so Shabbat Shekelim, Rosh Chodesh. We just finished Shabbat Zakor, and now we're, we also just had the Purim picnic. So shouts out to all of the winners for the costume uh, contest. And here we go for the Ta'anit uh, Esther, which is the fast of Esther begins tomorrow crazy it's Purim wow so for the next basically three days we're just we're in it uh so due to daylight saving times it's still not quite the 13th of Adar yet but once the 13th of Adar happens we should know that um this is the fast that happens from dawn until dusk and what's amazing about this is this is the day we actually fought in history so while we're fasting, this is what we need to do is go back to this passage of Devarim, Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19, because this passage is a great meditation for why are we fasting and what really was uh, Esther calling us to do uh, during this time, because Haman was really trying to annihilate us and wipe us out. And it's really important to note that the the tactic of Amalek is not really to take you head on, it's to attack you at your weak points. So the times that you just kind of feel like exhausted, you want to give up. And I spoke about this in the drosh, but I didn't really get into the uh, personal aspects of it, which is really the, the main thing, because externally, we, you know, we have our, our fellow mishpaka, we have our fellow mankind, human beings that you know, uh, some people may feel like they're not good enough and things like that. Well, Amalek comes and attacks low self-esteem, um, just tragic events that happen, uh, things that are very uh, distraught and upsetting and stressing to you. And once you're in that spot, 
That's where he really does his work. And again, it is on a physical plane, but it's also on a spiritual plane all at the same time, which is the whole connection that I made with Yehoshua ben Nun and Moshe Rabbeinu on the mountain uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu was up top, warring in the heavenlies, the spiritual, and that represents the Torah, and how Yehoshua ben Nun was like the physical, was the sword, and we know the sword of the spirit is not only the word of God, but it's also prayer, which is why we have to understand if we're not absorbed in prayer, like we are uh, admonished and um, encouraged by the sages to be, then that's also us not really wielding the sword very well. So uh, Amalek has to be attacked physically and spiritually. And that's basically what we go through, uh, not, not maybe not all the time, but especially during this time. And like I was saying, it's an indirect victory that comes through Purim because we're focused on the four mitzvot, which actually are uh, connected to the four letters of the divine name of the Holy One, blessed is he. So you're really using the name of Hashem to cut down the enemy, which sounds a lot like what we say in the Hallel, where it says, in the name of Hashem, I cut them down. In the name of Hashem, I cut them down. And it's interesting that we repeat it because when you say Hashem, Hashem, the four letter name twice, uh, you're bringing down the beginning of the 13 attributes of Hashem, the 13 Midot. And if you look at the aspect of 13, you're looking at Ahava, which is love, you're also, which is a four-letter word. And uh, it's interesting, too, the, the play between the Aleph, He, he uh, Bet, He, and how you have two He's, and then you have the letter Aleph and Bet, which is Av, which is father. And then you have the two He's, which you can actually put together. Uh, because hey is five, so five plus five is ten, and that makes the letter Yud, so you end up with the word Avi, my father, and we know that our father Hashem is love. The Torah brings us into a loving posture because love really is the walking out of the mitzvot, and it's calling us to actually love our neighbors, we love ourselves, which is how we love our father, and then you have the understanding that Aleph Hey Vet Hey, which is Ahava, which is love, has the gematria of 13, which is the same as the gematria of the numerical value of Echad, which is one, which is being uh, oneness, unity. And how can we love Hashem if we don't love Hashem's beloved, which is not only the Torah, but it's also Yisrael, it's also all mankind, you know, and uh, when you just kind of look at all these aspects of uh, the the ability for us to to war and fight and do it in a physical manner where we physically speak out words and we do physical actions, you know, like our physical actions for the fast is really refraining, you know, refraining from eating. And so really, uh, we're cutting off a source of uh, nutrients and we're cutting off a source of energy, but we're actually connecting to a higher energy Bezrat uh, Hashem anyway, because it's a terrible thing to waste the fast day, right? If you spend it being angry or yelling at people or, you know, doing uh, not so Kedusha things and um, how really you should be using the fast day to elevate yourself. And this is why I was saying, use this passage of Deuteronomy 7, 25, 17 through 19, 
which is a very, very great motivation to help us get through. So uh, we will overcome Amalek through fasting. And isn't it interesting that what does the Messiah say about overcoming um, demonic activity, oppressive spirits, and things like that? He says this one by prayer and fasting. Let's see here. What word is that? Um, it is found Matthew 17, 21. It says, um, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So if you read the greater context here, um, it is in chapter 17. Let's go to the full part just to get ourselves a little bit more context. So basically, uh, there's a boy with a demon, which is like uh, really looking at it in the aspect of there's a young child, you know, because all of us should be becoming like a child to enter into the kingdom, right? But as you're trying to strive to, um, to lower yourself, to uh, renew yourself and things like that, to become like a newborn child. Because remember, we talked about this last week from the Handbook of Jewish Thought, that through forgiveness, you're brought back to a childlike pure state before Hashem. And um, this child was afflicted, basically, with um, very negative spiritual energy. So Matthew 17, 14 says, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Yeshua and knelt before him. He's, uh, it says, Adon, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your Talmudim, but they cannot heal him. Which, again, if you think about the implications of this, right, like, well, these are supposed to be your 12. Like, these are your, your super power, like, Avenger type people. How come they can't do it? Didn't you not give them power to trample on snakes and scorpions and things like that? Like that was previous chapters in Matthew, right? So like, why can't they do this? What's going on? But that's not a hang up, you know? So it's uh, a point to us of encouragement that, yes, just because we follow Mashiach, you know, that that doesn't necessarily mean like everything we do is going to be super successful, which should be a Selah moment to us because us being with him is important, not necessarily what we achieve. Because remember the report when everyone came back that he sent out and they're like, oh man, we did this. Oh, we did that. Oh, it was so amazing. Like I jumped from the rooftop and then I didn't even touch the ground. You know, well, that was extra. But anyway, so like, what was Yeshua's response? It was like, well, you should actually rejoice that your name has been written in the book of life. How about the fact that you were with Hashem? The Holy One blessed is he, like your soul finds rest in his presence, you know, and if you look at Psalm 91 about who Hashem shows his Yeshua to, his salvation is to those who have made Hashem their refuge, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, just like we were in the wilderness when we came out of Mitzrayim, it's like we were doing amazing things. We got to the sea and it was like, uh, I don't know about this. And it was just like, we'll go forward. It's like, I never saw that before. Go through the sea. A couple of days later, 
start freaking out again. Hashem's not with us. We're thirsty. We're hungry. You know, all this kind of stuff. It's like, dude, you just went through the sea and wiped out like the legions of Mitzrayim. Can anybody remember that? The whole Hashem scene, you know, his throne, everyone had all these prophecies, like the children were even prophesying, even so much the children who were in the womb. And it's just like, yeah, but you know, we're out in the wilderness now. And that was, that was a week ago. And it's like, okay, so clearly disconnect, right? But we have to remember this happens to us a lot. And so we have to keep going, right? Because when we got to the part about Amalek attacking us, he was able to attack us because we said, is Hashem with us or not? Like, where is he? I don't know. And then our force fields went down. <laughs> Manna stopped raining for a second. You know, uh, clouds of glory went away. The rock was like, uh, what are you doing? I'm not giving you any water right now. You know, like all this stuff. And it's just like, here comes the enemy. And it's just like, what changed? It's actually the question of who changed. And it was us. So back to the passage here, Yeshua's Talmudin weren't successful in removing this oppressive, evil spirit and energy away from this boy. And it's like, Yeshua, did you not give them power to do it? Well, it goes on to say, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Yeshua replied. So here's the thing. It had really nothing to do with whether or not Yeshua gave them the ability, but it was like, where is everyone's Amuna? And where is everyone's connection to Hashem? You know, it's like that thing where you get so caught up and just praying. You know, that the time where you just, you end up praying extra. You like, I don't know if I can pray today. And you just sat down and you just started going, you open up the Sidur. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're 30 pages in. You're just like, uh, wow. Well, that's how we have to be with Hashem. So caught up, just like Kepha, Peter, when he was walking on the water, he was fine until he took his eyes off the Mashiach. He was fine until he started focusing on the natural elements, not the command. The command was, well, come on out here then. You know, what are you trying to accomplish, Kepha? Like, go ahead and do it, and then you'll be fine. But at once it was like, well, I'm doing something that's not normal. This is kind of weird. I'm outside of confines, you know, like I'm outside of the boat. It's windy out here. Like you start focusing on the peripherals and it's just like you forget. Well, the thing is like fixing and focusing our eyes upon the author, perfecter and finisher of our emunah. You know, Hashem has given us everything that we need to do that. And so staying wrapped up in that and this is the, the the frivolity that we're to get carried away in during Purim we should be so caught up in okay let's hear the next chapter of the Megillah okay that was a funny accent that was amazing okay beautiful costume you know okay beautiful uh Manot Mishloach you know like beautiful gift basket and oh my goodness here's what I can give I can finally give money that I've stored up in my Zaka box you know, to someone. And uh, then you have the fact of having the festive meal, you know, and it's just like all these things that you're just so fixed on doing during this time, it's like it carries you away so that you're actually overcoming the enemy and you don't even know it. And that's what, that's what this, uh, that's what's behind this statement here. So 
don't focus on the Talmudim not being able to heal. Like, okay, so what are we trying to accomplish here? So it says, how long must I remain with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Yeshua rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. It says, afterwards, the Talmudim came to Yeshua privately and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? The, the answer is, ouch, <laughs> because you have so little emunah, so little faith. He answered, for truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there which should be uh, a note that in the tractate of Sukkah 52, I believe it is Daf A, that brings down what is known as a mountain to those who strive to walk in holiness, the Yetzahara, seen as a great mountain. And so if you allow your Yetzahara to be bigger than you, by the way, your Yetzirah technically is the same size as you, because as you grow in your maturity and in your spiritual ability and your strength and things like that, your passion for Hashem, your Yetzirah grows too. So technically, it's the same exact size as you, but you can actually diminish it. You can tell your Yetzirah where to go. And this is what Yeshua is telling us right here. So he says, even if your Amuna was the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, which again, speaking, talking, talk to it, talk to yourself. Really, your Yetzirah is a part of your, it's a part of your whole makeup. You know, it's internal. So you have to speak to those thoughts that are going astray, going awry. You have to speak to uh, those little moments that try to pull you away and distract you. You have to really go, okay, this is a distraction. Okay, I need to see this for what it is. I need to figure out why this is happening. And then I need to see what's behind it and use it as a throne for it, something good to come from it. Because technically, when we go through different uh, trials and tribulations, what? We're accounted all joy because it's bringing out something. We're, it's actually a gift. And as we mentioned last week, evil is the throne for good. This is why it's so intricately, intricately connected to where is the name of Hashem noted in the, uh, the Megillah. It is noted in the passage where uh, it says the king and Haman will come today. So Haman and the king basically being a, a, an allegory or an allusion to the fact of there's going to be something good that comes out of this. Even though Haman is like a part of the picture now, he's actually being used as like a catapult and a catalyst. And guess what the, the beautiful part about that is, is that everyone was connected to Esther through what she commanded. So the fasting, the intentionality, which is known as Kavana, all of that was there so that when Esther was doing everything, everyone was like literally riding on her, her everything. Like, what is she going to do? What's, what is going to happen from her just throwing herself out there? And the thing is, they had the banquet, and then they came back again, had another banquet, 
And it was at that second banquet that she finally, you know, let everything out. And what ended up happening? Haman just came unglued, just embarrassed and just exposed and just, you know, uh, all over himself, you know, just like, I don't know what to do, you know, just kind of fall down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The king was like, I just, I can't believe what I'm hearing right now. Leaves the room. Angel comes, pushes Haman on Esther. The king walks back in. It's like, bro, seriously? Okay, you're done. This is it. But it was because there was so much of our involvement and investment in pushing this thing forward. What are we going to do? Well, first, we need a lot of prayer. We need a lot of fasting. We need a lot of focus on just what are some simple, practical things we can do? What is the best way to get a person in a favorable disposition? Make them a beautiful, good meal. Have a good time connecting with them personally before we just straight get to business. Like, I have a question for you kind of thing, you know? And it, it was just a beautiful scenario and to know that we were unified in doing this. So anyway, that's a, a connection there to Matthew 17, 20 about the faith of a mustard seed speaking to the mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is why the other thing about us having faith and seeing the arrival of the Mashiach and seeing the third temple being built is so important. If we don't have that true faith, when we say Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai, Mashiach now, like we need to work on that, especially during this fast. You know, we're going to have a half day to, I mean, a full hours of daylight, you know, to, to really deal with that. So the key verse being verse 21. Um, and that's interesting. As I'm looking at the page here, it doesn't really tell me what verse 21 is, but um, that is interesting. I'm using the Bible Hub app and it doesn't have a verse 21. Just completely skipped it. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. This is why um, using technology sometimes doesn't really work to your advantage. But anyway, but that's the part where this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting uh, is present. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, going on, I want to tell us that uh, during the fast um, that we basically go all the way up till the Megillah reading. So you want to make sure that when, once it gets dark, that you at least try to have a snack, which is why we're actually going to read the Megillah a little bit after, you know, we get here so that we can give everyone a chance to transition from the fast into um, being ready for the Megillah. Try not to eat too much so you don't overwhelm your system. And then here it is, the Megillah reading. It is at our shul. And uh, here's the time, 7.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. It will be on YouTube as well. So definitely uh, be a part of that. And then heads up, the Shabbat is the Shabbat of the Red Heifer. Because anytime an army goes out to war, the uh, assumption is that there was probably um, people who were not so fortunate on the battlefield that fell and were slain. Like uh, the enemy perished. There was corpses, dead bodies, things like that. So once that happens, you need to have 
the ashes of the red heifer sprinkled on you. And remember, they get sprinkled on us on the third day and on the seventh day. So this is Parsha Hukat. Uh, and basically, we'll be reading a little bit from that uh, Numbers chapter 19, verses 1 through 22. There's a beautiful drop in the Baal Haturim on this as well. So um, this will be just such great things to know. And um, that will be where I end that. And then I'll bring it back to master plan because when we look at the, the fact of going out to war, going out to battle, that is a measure of Mesirut Hanefesh, self-sacrifice. And if you look at master plan, the chapter we're in tonight, because we've already covered chapter 18, which is respect for the human being after death. Last week, we talked about sensitivity to animal instincts. So we're in chapter 19 this week on page 76. Now, if you look at this regard for one's own life. Now, here it is that we're talking about self-sacrifice, but then we're going to be talking about the, the fact that it is actually a mitzvah to preserve your life. So if you can just like look at the, uh, the paradox there, it's actually uh, quite beautiful. And it goes on to say here that uh, suicide, self-injury, self-preservation, living in the world, which, wow, living in the world is an act of like, man, be careful. <laughs> I think many of us probably already know that, but um, just something to be aware of that it's literally in here. And master plan talking about the uh, the precariousness of being in the world and not of it. It's like I bump the table and move stuff around. Got Genesis 9, 5, Deuteronomy 4, 9, and uh, Talmud Jerusalem, the Jerusalem. So that's what TJ is, the Jerusalem Talmud. And Pei 1, 1 from that Talmud. And then we have the Talmud Bavli, which is TB. Pesach 113a. Okay, sleeker, I got a lot of static over here. All right, so first section, our life is not our own. If you're already thinking 1 Corinthians chapter 6, then on the money. That's actually a very, very big part of Parashah Zav about us, our bodies being the temple and that we were bought with a price. And so um, just the whole beautiful thing on that when and especially this year, since this Torah portion corresponds to Zav, and how or yeah, this Torah portion Zav corresponds to Purim, and part of the week we're fasting in commemoration of the thirteenth of Adar when we fought. We had we had no guaranteed victory per se, but we did have the backing of the king's decree that if anyone tried anything against the Jewish people. We double, triple dog dare you type thing. We ready. And sure enough, what do we do? What did we read about? How many thousands of people uh, tried to test the Jews and were not successful and ended up losing their lives? So again, just crazy about after we go through Purim, we'll have Parsha Para which is about the ashes of the red heifer to purify those who've been uh, pure, uh, contaminated by a corpse. 
which after we went out to the battlefield, we were definitely ceremonially impure. So we needed those ashes. And um, so, yeah, just a beautiful thing here, just looking at that. So it goes on to say, one cannot say I am an ethical being. I will do no wrong to anyone or anything, but my body is my own. Is that not like such a big thing today? Everybody says, it's my body. I do what I want. Except for when, you know, and you just can, I mean, the past three years as the world has gone through, the global changes has gone through um, with government regimes and mandates, uh, suddenly our bodies were not really our own when it came to certain uh, ailments of the human body. But really, most, most times it's like, oh, yeah, I could do whatever I want with my body. You know, and we're actually encouraged to think that way from media and all sorts of other avenues. So it says, I can do with it what I like. The Torah teaches. So what does the Torah teach? That's what we really want to know. So uh, the word for nullification, to nullify yourself, is mevatel, which is a mem in front of the word bitul. So when a person is mevatel, that is where we really want to be. That's where the Torah actually moves us. It takes us away from the ego being the central focus to really the greater good of not only ourselves, but our fellow human beings and the greater uh, world, creation, the universe. We really want to bring Hashemness to all of creation. That is completely contrary to what we just read. Because when you really think about what our body is for, our body is supposed to be a vehicle. It's supposed to be a chariot, which is Merkava, a Merkava for Hashem's presence. This is what the patriarchs were known as, the Merkava of Hashem. It's literally that the three patriarchs correspond to the three legs of Hashem's throne. And then the fourth leg, some say it's Yosef, others say it's David. So really, it's kind of like, okay, what's up with this floating fourth leg? But anyway, when you look at the whole aspect of what is the, the chariot, what is the throne, it has to do with people who are mevatel and who want to keep the Torah central in their lives. And that's what this chapter of Master Plan is teaching us about. Torah teaches us our body and our life are not our own. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Can we just read this? Look, this is crazy. I'm going to use an actual Bible app instead of Bible Hub this time. No shade to Bible Hub, but uh, what's the dealio, y'all? Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6. It is around verse 20, so I'm going to pick up with verse 18. It is kind of dicey here, but this is what it is. Flee from sexual immorality. Well, there goes all of the secular society just about. Is there anything left if we take away sexual immorality? I don't know. Maybe shuls, a few of them, because uh, unfortunately we read about it in Sanhedrin and in Sota that in the time before the Mashiach, 
even the synagogues and places of study and houses of worship will become not so good places um, for this thing. So, yikes. But every other sin that a man commits outside the body, but the one committing sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Ruach Kakodesh, who is in you, whom you have from God? Would you go back to when Yeshua was talking about, if I don't leave, he won't come. I will go to the Father and ask him to send you a helper. Like that was actually answered, which is amazing because what does the sages, what do the sages teach us? about the decree of a Zadik. Hashem fulfills the decree of a Zadik. So if Yeshua went to Hashem and was like, could you please send the Ruach HaKodesh to be inside of your believers? And Hashem was totally like, okay, yeah, I'll answer that. Another proof to Yeshua being a Zadik. Hashem answered what he requested and it's beautiful too when you think about on a physical plane here with esther who is a zadika she goes to um king Achashverosh, even though he's not considered necessarily like a righteous king definitely not a king in israel but he he also answers her decree he approves of her requests he said even up to half the kingdom, which the commentary says that would be rebuilding the temple. So uh, we can't go that far. So we'll just go with half. So I gave you more than that. That's re rebuilding the temple. And then that means you're technically no longer in exile. And that means I'm not like ruler and stuff. So I don't know about that. So anyway, it goes on to say, and that you are not your own. You are not your own because you are a temple of the Ruach HaKodesh. You were bought with a price. Now, this is interesting because the foundation of the Mishkan, which is the predecessor to the Bet HaMikdash, is atonement money. It's none other than the half shekel. And that was made out of silver. And so... Looking at the fact that we're established on atonement to become a house that is devoted to Hashem, which Master Plan teaches us earlier in the book, what is holiness? It is devotion to Hashem. So a holy temple, we are the temple. We're built on the foundation of atonement, and we are to remember our body is not ours. There are certain protocols that we follow in order to make the whole circuit flow and bring lights to the world. It's interesting how light really is not electrical when it comes to the Torah. Light comes from the spirit of Hashem. It comes from the, the spirit of Hashem hovering over the water. And then it's more so in the temple and the Mishkan as well that there's oil that's been pressed and it's finely crushed and then it's put into a vessel and then there's a wick in there which is likened to our soul's garments, our thoughts, speech, and deeds. That is the wick to which the torch of the word of Hashem will be the fire set to that and cause light to illuminate from that. 
And then you have the oil being the mitzvot, being the Torah. So if you think about the parable of the bridegrooms uh, or the, uh, the parable of the, of the uh, brides to be the virgins who are waiting on the bridegroom to open the door, make sure there's enough oil, you know, to keep that lamp burning throughout the night. Parshazav teaches us that, you know, there are certain things that have to be done on a daily basis in the temple. Part of that in the background is actually kindling the menorah and making sure it's able to burn through the night. And then in the following morning, you'll actually clean those lamps and get it reset so that the following night you can set it up to be burned again. And nighttime is an allusion to exile. It's considered to be a time of night. And so we should all, may Hashem cause us to be, may we merit to always be continually burning fires throughout the night, just like the menorah was. And that's all about being the light of the world because the light of the world is the menorah. The light of the world is the temple. The light of the world is the Torah. And the light of the world is the sages, are the sages. So, and then we are the light of the world, the Messiah tells us. So it's all corresponding to temple service and protocol that we have to understand our bodies are not ours. So then it goes on to say that it's not our own to dispose of as we see fit. This is why it's beautiful to note that in the previous chapter, even when our souls separate from our bodies, when we pass away, May it not happen soon to any of us. May Mashiach return before that happens so that it'll be a quick transformation. <laughs> King Yehiratom. But when that moment comes, there's a certain way you have to take care of the body for proper burial. You can't just throw it away. You can't just, uh, you know, throw it in a furnace and burn it up. You know, there's a Torah prescribed manner in taking care of your corpse. So, Everything that we do in our body, we should understand not only the gift of it, but the purpose and the intentionality behind it. We're souls with a body. We're not bodies with souls. We are not our bodies. And I was thinking about this today uh, on my way here because I had a dream that I thought was really powerful and teaching me something that um, it was very oppressive, a lot of uh, battles, and I felt like I was like a mix of Iron Man and Doctor Strange all at the same time fighting some really crazy, creepy monster thing. But it was like I began to realize that it's not really me. It's, it's what Hashem has invested into my spirit and my connection to him that's really who I am. And the Torah and the mitzvot, all of our repentance, our prayers and things that we do on a daily basis and how we grow in our Jewish life is actually meant to bring more of that out, self-refinement. And so it's like, okay, yeah, so I may be a tall person. I may be able to do this. I may be able to do that. I may have this physical strength, but it's like, those are external. And I'm kind of like, wow, like I should be very just like, Selah on that. All of us, we should be very Selah on that. You know, and I was listening to Shifra this week as well, may she live and be well, talking about Purim. And she was mentioning that we dress up on Purim to teach us how, I mean, I, I don't really remember the exact wording, but the basic uh, point is, is that this is all 
a mask. Like Hashem is clothed in nature. And we ourselves, to a certain degree, have concealments that have been placed on us. And it's like the closer we get to Hashem, the more things are revealed. It's like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know this about myself. I didn't know I had the ability to do this. You know, you start to figure out what your purpose is. You kind of hone into why you're here. What's the purpose of your existence? So Purim teaches us that and how this is all like, this is a mask. This is a costume. What really matters is what's beneath it, what's behind it. What was concealed in Esther? Esther hid her identity, but what she ended up concealing was the salvation for the Jews. And by extension, anyone else who wanted to join in. Because it would be only a matter of time. Think about this. It would only be a matter of time before there would be the next people group that Haman would want to wipe out and annihilate. You, you would think, well, I took out God. I took out his people. I took out the temple. So I'm done. I'm satisfied. But don't we all know that negative part of the human condition, at least right now in this fallenness, is that it's never satisfied. I can never have enough money. I can never have enough victory, you know, and things like that. So it's only a matter of time for Haman would have redirected his attention to someone else and try to wipe them out. So think about the fact that salvation was not only for the Jews, but also for the non-Jews. Oh my gosh, I feel like getting on the microphone and like breaking it down. Like, my goodness, I never thought about it this way. But that's hidden in Esther. And the people, the nations actually gave her that name. She, her name was Hadassah. But the nations were like, uh, I don't know what Hadassah means. I'm going to call you this. Where's my little file at? Um, exit full screen. Hang on. I'm doing the, um, the little note here. They're in the Purim info for um, that I sent out like that ridiculously large PDF. Uh, in there, I have the Encyclopedia of Biblical Personalities. Let me see if I can share this. Romans 8.19. Let's, let's go ahead and drop that real quick. Romans 8.19. Um, it says, for the creation eagerly awaits the revelation of the sons of God. Wow. Man, I, I, wow. Just, mm. so... Shouts out to you, Devorah, man. You live and be well. That is so legit because this is like uh, it's it's like you're you're prophesying a little bit. So that that's really cool. Um, considering I really want to speak on that, so I'm gonna try my best to get to that tonight. But here is the Encyclopedia of Biblical Personalities. This is what it looks like. So if you want to take a screenshot, I think you actually have the ability to. Uh, download anything I'm sharing on the screen because there's like a little pencil or notate take a screenshot I don't know however you want to do it but uh yeah so this is an amazing book if you don't have it um if you come across any name in the Tanakh which is this fancy word ha Tanakh which is ha Torah Navi Nevi'im which is prophets 
and Ketuvim, which is the holy writings. So anytime you see it says in the scriptures, when you're reading either the gospel accounts or the letters, that's what it's actually referring to. It's referring to the Tanakh. So just a little point there, because sometimes people consider the letters and the gospels like scripture. And it's like, well, great insights. It's really more, um, it's Tanaic commentary, actually, Tanaic writings, because it's from the period of the Tanaim, which is the same area we find uh, snippets of the Talmud from as well. So not that it's terrible and that we should get rid of it and shouldn't trust it, but just to say um, that is something to note. There is the fact of the nations calling her Esther. Here it is. Is this it? Her name was Hadassah. When she, why was she called Esther? Because the nations of the world called her Istahar, meaning beautiful as the moon. And it says also because she was called Esther, because she hid, which is Histara, her origins. As it is written, Esther still told nothing of her kindred or her people. Esther 2.20, that's from Megillah 13a. So uh, I just love that about the nations gave her that name, which the nations gave Yeshua his Greek name, which translated in English is Jesus. And then there's a whole bunch of other derivatives off of that that people go with. But that was given to him by the nations, because when you try to translate Yeshua from Hebrew, there's a whole lot of filters you have to go through to get to Jesus. So, okay, the nations have basically encapsulated that, just like they have done to Esther's name. And also there's kind of a hidden identity that the Messiah is Jewish. But I want to speak to this from the aspect of Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 1, if you have it. Here's a drive-by on page 176. Check this out. It says in 884 and 885 on page 176. Other books, such as those of the Apocrypha, also contain wisdom, but they are not written with divine inspiration and therefore are not included in the Bible. However, when the necessity arises, they may be studied to obtain information. I want to point out, when we look at the Igerot of the Shliakim, which are the letters of the apostles, please note that, that they're studied to obtain information. They're not studied to build uh, a house on, they're not studied to build a religion on, which is what's happened, unfortunately. We don't have to get into the, but Paul said group, right? Or people who go, well, that's not in the New Testament. And it's kind of like, okay, well, just see Handbook of Jewish Thought, page 176. Okay, and here's the other part. It says, although the Bible was originally given only to the Jewish people, mm, Although the Torah, the Mashiach, the temple, technically was originally given to the Jewish people because 
we had the golden calf stuff, we had the Mishkan. That's why we got the Mishkan because we committed to golden calf. But, uh, you know, the Torah, Mashiach, first to the Jews, then to the world. Just like that with the Bible. It says the Bible was originally given only to the Jewish people. It is now accepted. Look at the words is used. It doesn't say that it's given. It just says it's accepted. Because the thing is, you have to remember, when it comes to those who join Yisrael, who become a part of the nation, who people who convert, you have to do that through a, a process of accepting it on yourself. It's not forced on you. It's not thrown at you. It's not like you're guilt tripped into it. I mean, people pull these tactics all the time or whatever, or try to take your money for it. But this is all about accepting. You know, look at a man and a woman when they enter into Kiddushin. Shalom that this happens, but you don't see men just going around grabbing the woman by the neck and being like, girl, you with me now. You're going to be holy mine. It's going to be a holy situation. No, there's, there's all sorts of compassion here. There's all sorts of, would you, will you join me? You know, we literally, we have the custom as Yehudim to recite a bracha over a cup of wine and the man takes a few sips and offers it to the wife. And if the wife accepts, then she finishes the cup and no one else ever drinks after that man again, if they're not like in his family. So just, just him and his wife, they, they share that cup, you know? And so this is the other uh, connection to the breaking of the glass underneath the hoopah at the wedding is that, you know, not technically like not underneath the hoopah, like it has to be done there, but it's basically with the hoopah ceremony, we break the glass that yes, it commemorates the destruction of the temple, but it's also the husband is not going to be sharing his glass of wine with another woman. He's not going to offer that, you know, secret wine to her, to anyone else. So same thing with the Torah. It's to Hashem's people. Now, all mankind have a part to play in the Torah, 100%. And just notice how Hashem has been like, okay, the word's going out. Come freely by, you know, Isaiah stuff. But it says it is now accepted by a large portion of humanity. Wow. And it forms the cornerstone of Western civilization. Which when you think about the, the crazy, uh, how did that even happen? Because Western civilization, like Rome and uh, and all the other countries that followed after it, you know, there's a whole like materiality -ness. There's a whole like, I'm God, not a shim. But yet it's like, oh, I accept the Bible. I think it's legit. I think it's valid. I think everyone should have it in a drawer in their hotel room next to their bed in case they get the urge to, to read a few passages of Psalms before they go to sleep. It says, through ways we cannot understand, God is thus using the Bible to bring the entire world to the truth. This is another reason why the Messiah said, look at the fields. They're ripe. They're ready for the harvest. This is why we should also know that as we continue to 
look forward to and anticipate the arrival of the Mashiach and crying out for the building of the Beit HaMikdash, like, it's not in vain. We're literally at that point. There are, like, so many different Bible apps. It's ridiculous. You know, people got Bibles on their phones, got Bibles in their cars, people's got Bibles in their dressers. Uh, you know, who knows where they got Bibles? And it's just like, yeah. So the nations have accepted the Torah. So let's get on with this Google stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, um, they have had doctrines built on them. The letters. Yep. Doctrines built on the letters. All right. So anyway, my goodness. OK, need to get a more stable environment over here. So it goes on to say um, in master plan, we're back in master plan now, like the world around us, they too have been given us by God for the purpose of fulfilling his beneficent will for man. So everything is about fulfilling the beneficent purpose of Hashem. What is the will of God for my life? It's for us to actually be people of thanksgiving, which is the Aliyah for one of the Aliyot of Parsha Zav, talking about the Thanksgiving offering. And this is the will for us in the Mashiach. When Mashiach restores mankind to their state before the sin of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, we will be restored back to a pure state before Hashem to where only thing we can do is be grateful. So this is why they say all the festivals will go away. All the offerings will go away. Not literally. But it'll be as if they're gone away because we're so focused on gratitude. So the Thanksgiving offering is the one that actually lasts and actually goes up higher. And Purim becomes the greatest of all the feasts because Purim is about physically and spiritually combining together an ultimate purpose and holiness and consecration to Hashem. Yom Kippur, holiest day on the calendar, but it's not physical. Purim is the is exactly like Yom Kippur. This is why it says Yom Kippurim. Yom like Purim. Day like Purim is Yom Kippur. Because on Purim, we bring all that physical or spiritual connection and holiness. We bring that down into physicality, which is the ultimate purpose that Hashem has for us. That's why we're in bodies. He's just like, I need you to bring all this holiness down here. I need you to be just as holy as you are sitting in the shul, as you are in the grocery store, sitting in traffic, dealing with your children, because sometimes they get a little crazy, you know? <laughs> so, and being with your family, being at work, you need to bring holiness all the way down there. Just, just be out of control. People are just like, it's just too holy in here. I'm getting a headache. I don't know what to do. It's like, here's some water. It's holy water. Anyway, make everything holy. And that's the ladder of Jacob, by the way. The ladder from heaven firmly entrenched in the earth. That is the Jewish perspective of heaven. This is why you don't see us going, well, I hope you get to heaven, fellow Jew or fellow human being. It's like, no, hope you get to the Alam Haba where heaven becomes on earth just like it was when we were in the wilderness, just like we talk about in the Shema, the, as the days of the heaven upon the earth. That's the goal. So big jump that we have to do, but everything that we're doing now and with the arrival of the Mashiach, it just, it hyperdrives. 
which brings all Hashem intended into fruition, Baruch Hashem, all things hidden revealed. Again, another Purim drop. Because the cool thing about us wearing our costumes is that we're not going to stay in them. <laughs> it's just for a moment, you know? And some people may not be wearing costumes, which I want to point out our fellow Mishpaka, Dr. Lynn, may she live and be well, girl be dropping bombs. Anyway, she was bringing down, it's actually not a mitzvah to wear a costume on Borum. It's, it's a custom for sure. Absolutely. Don't, don't get that twisted. But don't forget what the four mitzvot are. And so if you're all wrapped up in your costume, but you never gave to the poor, you never heard the Megillah, it's just kind of like, okay, what are you doing, homeboy, homegirl? Come on now, pull it in. But anyway, just a little point there. Our costumes are really kind of like a little seasoning to the event to help with the, the metaphor. Also, it goes on to say here, no one has the right to injure oneself, to ruin oneself. Oh, goodness. To drug oneself. That can be just taken so wrong in so many ways. But obviously, we know primarily substance abuse. I was wondering when I was going to get a chance to talk about this, you know, how people uh, freak out about a zombie apocalypse or they're fanatic about it and all this kind of stuff. And somebody, FDC, FDA, CDC, somebody was like, oh, yeah, we'll put out a, a survivor guide to a zombie apocalypse. I'm like, what is really happening? Uh, again, we're in the days of Noah. Crazier things are continuing to be seen and heard. So I don't know why Mashiach is not back yet. I'm just saying it's like, we're so ready. Like, this is crazier by the day. But anyway, there is a drug on the market that people use as substance abuse to get high from, known as crocodile. And the higher you get, it basically deteriorates your flesh. And I was like, oh, so the zombie apocalypse is just a bunch of um, doped out people. So that's unfortunate. But anyway, um, just thinking about the, the implications of that and, and that that's even a thing, like who comes up with this stuff? That is completely violating halakha. Like you're injuring your body. It's like, but I'm doing it for pleasure. You know, it's like, well, that's, that's not what the Torah teaches. So you're welcome to go against it or not. Because what does Hashem say? I said before you life and death, choose life, please. Anyway, um, or to murder oneself. It goes on to say, not oneself and certainly not new life within oneself. Wow. To, to really look at all of the implications of this on a deeper level, this is the other reason why we have to remember what Amalek did to us, because all of these things are fallouts of Amalek who is actually synonymous with the Yetzahara in a comparative way, like in a parallel way, because it's really like leading yourself into self-destruction. And Amalek is like, I don't care what you do, just don't go get the Torah. Just don't leave Egypt behind. Just don't go into the borders of the land of Israel. Don't leave Hashem as your one true God. Amalek is like, cool, anything but that. What did Haman say? Nothing means anything to me as long as that Jew, Mordecai, 
is still able to be around and he hasn't bowed to me. I don't care. You can give me all the money in the world. You can even make me king over Ahasuerus. Uh, you can give me all of Persia and everything else, but it won't matter because Mordecai is still not bowing to me. What? So anyway, all of these things that, that lead us into a place of ruin and destruction and literally destruction of the temple, tearing down the temple, pushing the spirit of God away from us. That's, that is what the week we're in, like in the fast, like when we're doing that, whether you fully fast be, because you're uh, physically able to, or you try to do what you can because, you know, you have to take medicines and things like that on whatever level you're playing a heavy, hefty part. Even if you just think, I wish I could fast. Boom. That's, that's a heavy, that's a heavy blow. That's like, you know, matrix style to the cheekbone of uh, a Malik. Cause you know, Hashem rewards us for our intent. Remember that from the Musar class? This is what blows my mind about Judaism. It's like, well, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Well, do you want to? Yes. Okay, Baruch Hashem. You have a lot of merits in heaven for that. Okay, so we all have the duty to preserve ourselves and all that is within us because the world needs us. God needs us. Did you know that you're still here in the world because there's still stuff for you to do. Probably uh, trivial, probably have heard that saying before, but seriously, this is why the mourning over the loss of a Jew is so important. So much so to say, to say, if you go to a Leviah, which is a, a funeral burial service, which by the way, Leviah, like Levi, yeah, like attached to Hashem, like what? Um, you're literally forgiven for your sins. It's literally seen as an aspect of you making teshuva. But what is so crazy about all of that is not what you're getting as benefit, but what's actually happened is there's been a loss of Torah and mitzvot in the world. This is why they say when a person passes away, it's like the burning of a Torah scroll. It's very like, what a loss, you know? And so we have to remember the fact that we're here and we're in the game. <laughs> we just better move. We better be doing some brock out or something. Just say something, think something, speak something, you know, be something, whatever you can do. And it's just like, it's so important. So I want to go to the next section here, unnecessary risks. I mean, there's so much I can always get caught up in, in reading master plan, but I want to try to make sure I get through this. And it goes on to say, we it is on page 77. We may not go into danger unless our Torah duty requires this. Now, here's the thing. A person, I will not name him, but you'll probably be able to guess who it was. They were telling me about the fact that these evangelists come to their door and be like, I want to teach you about the word. Clearly see mezuzah on the door. Clearly see, okay, this person is, this person's not like other people I meet. Probably Jewish. I don't know. I don't ever know what a Jew is. I think a Jew and a Christian are the same. I don't know. Maybe they're incomplete believers. I don't know. 
But these people come to the door and they're like, so we just want to start. And they start just breaking out the whole New Testament, Gospels, uh, everything, doing a whole thing. So the response of the person was, hang on one minute. I want to go get something from the kitchen. Brings out a beautiful glass, got ice in it, and brings out bleach. And I'm like, what are you doing? You really did not do this. The person goes on. Well, what I did, I decided to pour uh, some fresh cold bleach for them and said, hey, so, you know, your Messiah talks about you can trample on scorpions, you can drink poison and you won't die. So drink up. And I was like, this is this is not what we're called to do. This is not. So anyway, that was a true story. <laughs> Hashtag true story. But I want to bring it up because that's not the picture of what is involved in the spiritual power Mashiach gave not only to his 12, but that Hashem gives to us through our devotion to him. When we make Hashem's will our will, he makes our will his will, the sages tell us, right? So that doesn't mean we just get to go out and be like, all right, I'm going to do this because Hashem's got a force field around me. Literally, we had a force field around us in the wilderness and we still died. I mean, come on, man. Seriously. So much so that we had to keep taking account. How many people we still got left? Because plague of fire, the, the, the fires of Tavera, people breaking out because they're like, oh, we want meat. Oh, we just desire leeks and cucumbers and all this kind of stuff. Whoosh, fire. Uh, golden calf, whoosh, the people dead by sword. You know, like all these different plagues that broke out. Oh, the incident of eating the quail and then all the gruesome, gruesome grotesque things that happened after that. Oh, my gosh. Everybody was like, I never want to eat meat again. I am completely a vegetarian now. Like Baruch Hashem, you know, like true story. But anyway, all these different things, it's like we're not to throw ourselves unnecessarily into these situations. However, if in the middle of you accomplishing an avoda, a mitzvah, okay, now we're talking. That's the proper channel. And I have a coworker who always brings up, remember that island that Paul went to and he was making a fire? Well, he, he didn't go there because he wanted to. He was shipwrecked. And I'm like, oh, so he didn't like go, let me find the island of the deadliest adders and vipers and go on it because I'm going to get bit by one of them and I'm going to live. It's going to be great. It's going to be such a, a fireside chat conversation. It's like, no, he was shipwrecked. He was like, I got places to be. And Hashem was like, well, we got things for you to see right now. Other people need to see this. So he's on this island. He builds the fire. And when he's trying to get all the wood together, there's like a super deadly uh, snake that jumps out. Whatever kind of snake it was, it was like, dude, you don't want to get bit by this one. This is it's over for you. You're already shipwrecked, by the way. So like, think about your conditions, right? So it jumps out, latches on his hand. Shows like, boy, okay, I'm, I'm doing stuff right now. Like we got to build this fire, which is so crazy because. You read the beginning of Parsha Zav. What's the Cohen doing? Building a fire, like stoking it, putting the wood on there, getting it all set up, you know? And here Shaul is 
because you know we're the temple right he's trying to build a fire putting the wood on and everything it's like bam gets bit it's like bro i don't have time for this so here's the thing this is in the book of acts or the account of acts and everyone's looking around like oh okay number one he's a sinner that's why the snake bit him crazy correlations are just coming you know the 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 southern thing where they say oh if you're such a righteous person and you ain't sinned you know you can put your hand in this box of uh whatever and it ain't gonna hurt you right that's not how it goes read master plan page 77 sorry but anyway back to back to paul airplanes he's a sinner he's gonna die this is just okay everybody watch the fire's not gonna happen today we got gonna have a death to deal with they kept looking and kept looking and kept looking. And by the time they finally realized it, I mean, they were already trying to like eat snacks or whatever and and like, oh, we're actually warm now. Like, this is great. Dude, you should have been dead. Like this scenario that's happening right now shouldn't be playing out. So I just think it's amazing to see that when it was actually that, you know, we trampled snakes and scorpions and we drank poisons and didn't die. It wasn't because we were like, where's the poison? you know, uh, Princess Bride style, like, I'm going to drink from this cup, you drink from this cup, you know, da, 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 da. inconceivable, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, it's like, no, we don't purposely put ourselves in these situations. We're trying to do kingdom business. So we don't have time to really focus on all the other stuff. We got things we're trying to get done. And this is why it's so cool too with Purim is that there were things that needed to get done. Mordecai was like, listen, Esther, we got things to do. Can't You can't just wipe the Jews out. We're Hashem's chosen people. So if you don't do what needs to get done, you're going to get wiped out in the process. Hashem's going to set someone else up. Some kind of way salvation is going to happen for the Jews. So you can get with it or not. Like, But just, okay. So the understanding that on a certain level and then her saying, if I perish, I perish. Her realizing this is a dangerous situation. I am not putting myself in this situation because, oh, let me just go before the king because I'm so cute. The king loves me. I'm cute. Everybody loves Esther, you know. Reading the encyclopedia about that, like uh, she was like, uh, like she looked like the best and most prettiest woman of each of the nations of the world. Like when everyone looked at her, she's like, oh, she's got to be Persian because she's so cute. Oh, she's got to be from London because she's so cute. She's so British. It's amazing. You know, like she just looked like whatever of the nations to everybody. And so the king was like, oh, like having Esther is like having all the nations, basically. But no, she was like, I'm sorry, there's a protocol. I could die. This is unnecessary danger. But Pesach is coming up. If there are no Jews, there's no Pesach. If there's no Pesach, there's no spring there. We're going to miss out on a whole season. Did you know? that the birth of the Jewish people and the change of the season from winter into spring all culminates around us. Rabbi Trugman wrote a beautiful article on it. So if you haven't checked that one out, check it out. Pesach and spring and the birth of the Jewish people. Ridiculous. So it was muy importante uh, to say in Espanol of what Esther did. So it wasn't unnecessary danger, which is a whole nother layer to think about now when the king extended the scepter to her. Beautiful midrashim about what actually went down and how the 
she was all dressed and all ready to go. And then she walks through the hall of idols. And then the spirit was like, I'm out. I'm not going to cover you, girl. You're going to have to do this one on your own. And then she's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, you know, it's like, I can't go into the throne. I can't go into the king's presence now because I'm ugly. The spirits left me. And then the king, when he looked at her, her whole appearance changed. And she was actually cute, even though she didn't feel like she was cute. And then the angel moved the scepter of the king and was like, king, you're going to put this out. Like, this is going to happen. Like, this is all the Midrash on Purim. Like, it's amazing. So putting ourselves in unnecessary danger is antithetical to what actually happens when we actually do things because we're loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our resources. So that's section two, living in the world. Uh, it says in page 77 on Master Plant, the task the Torah imposes on us is to live in the world. So. Here's the thing. The question I always ask, okay, if we're supposed to live in the world, then how in the world are we going to learn all these books? I mean, because there's a lot of books here. There's a lot of books that a lot of us don't have that we're about to find out we want to have. And this is the season for giving. You know, this is where we give gifts to one another. So I'm just saying, help your brothers and sisters out over here. But anyway, um, we should be buying books for each other if we can. And it's a really cool mitzvah. But anyway, um, how are we supposed to get the time to read all this stuff? I mean, we got chores. We got to go to work, you know, family, you know, friends, you know, all the different things that we need to get done. And it's just like between praying and studying. I mean, I don't really know how to do it. So, Sleek Up, um, it's Rabbi Yitzhak Berowitz, I believe is his name. May he live and be well. This man, and one of his latest draw show, like it was a Q&A on Ukraine and uh, Russia, and I think it was Portland. Let me just look real quick. Okay, am I going to be? No, I'm not going to be able to find it. It's in my history. Anyway, in there, and it's, it's over an hour long. It's a ridiculously long video. But in there, he was talking about um, there was one guy who was mad because his wife was asking him to do a lot of stuff. And he's like, girl, I am trying to study right now. And the rabbi was like, here's the thing. You're not going to lose out because you're having to fulfill requests from your spouse. Yes, you could spend that time studying, but because you're fulfilling those requests, those are known as Acts of loving kindness, aka chesed. What are the three pillars of the world? Torah, avoda, which is like service to God, like temple type service, whether it's prayer or conducting ceremonies for people, helping people learn and things like that. And that's all part of avoda. Think about what happened in the temple every day. And there's a good definition of avoda. So this is the other thing. I get Musar class. Seriously? Come on. Talked about this last week. Uh, so there's totally a whole pillar of the world missing because we don't have the temple. So how is a voda being done? It's like, oh, aren't there Jews somewhere praying and doing mitzvot? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. We're good. We're covered. Temple still exists. Like not literally, but yeah. 
But then there's also chesed, acts of loving kindness. Those are the three pillars of the world, Torah, Avodah, Chesed. Because, says Rabbi Berowitz, because you're doing Chesed, the time you will get in your Torah study, your Torah is going to be absorbed into you even deeper than it would have been had you spent many hours doing it. It also works the same with prayer. That the more you're praying, that when you actually do get in the Torah, your Torah is going to be absorbed more in a shorter time. And this was like monumentally mind-blowing for me because you read about the history of the sages who would take an hour to prepare to pray. They would pray for an hour, and then after that, they would meditate. And then it's just like, bro, how are you going to do that three times a day? That is nine hours. That's like a whole job. Yeah, my job, I'm a professional prayer. Like, what? Holy. Okay. But then it's like, how much Torah study do people do, especially in the yeshivot? It's like the house of study is going crazy. You know, morning to night, you're on the first one to show up and the last one to leave. You know, and it's like, I'm always in the house of study. Don't you know I'm always in my father's house? It's like, boom, I got this. But it's like, well, yeah, that's great. But you don't have to actually be concerned about the ratios if you're involved in all of the pillars simultaneously because any little bit of each that you're doing, they actually work off of each other and feed off of each other. Particularly Torah can be placed in the middle and whether you're doing more prayer or whether you're doing more acts of loving kindness, that Torah is going to go deeper into you, which made it even crazier to me because now I'm understanding when I was doing the whole um, brainstorming on Avengers and like, what if all the superheroes were Jewish and like how we are actually able to manifest those things uh, spiritually and things like that and powerful in our lives. But even on a practical level that we see the changes that happen in our life when we become observant and the, the more we mature in the mitzvot and how we can do more and the changes that come slowly and gradually and more healthy as opposed to doing it very quickly and then burning out and being like, I'm done, I'm out, I'm not even Jewish, I don't even know what I was thinking. But like, that's what's going on. And so it's like the Torah is like this huge uh, receptacle and it only works and gets filled and uh, is more vibrant with the beauty and the manufacturing, if you will, or the finishing and the refinement, the patching, the sealing of prayer and acts of loving kindness. Your Torah is going to be bright. It's going to go deep because you're operating in all these other pillars while trying to get little bites of Torah here and there where you can. This is why even if you see a video that's like a few hours long, I, I really encourage everyone, at least listen to 10 minutes or five minutes or something, scrub through that thing, listen to certain parts, and you'll find it'll draw you in. You'll be able to go back and listen to more. You know, that's why when we do the bet mentors. I'm like, I don't know who in their right mind is gonna listen to two hours worth of stuff especially with me being crazy, but it's like, at least listen to something, you know, because as you're living in the world, master plan, page 77, this stuff is going to go out of control. It's going to be amazing. It's going to rock your world, which will rock the world. 
You have to understand that redemption, Geula, the Mashiach now, the end of exile, it has to work from inside out and to outside in. It's like literally, it's like it reverberates. It's like bouncing back and forth. The more you feel redeemed and less in exile, the more the world is going to feel redeemed and less in exile. So if you want Mashiach, you got to bring Mashiach and then Mashiach will come. Like that's how it works. And so this is the whole understanding of why when Abraham knew Hashem gave him Yitzhak as his son to be his legacy and to protect, to perpetuate the family lineage and to fulfill everything that Hashem told Abraham. He's like, so when I go offer my son up, I don't know what's going to happen, but whatever it's going to be, my son and I will both leave that mountain. And it's just like, okay, so if I slaughter him, I slaughter him, but Hashem's going to raise him up. He's got to, because Hashem told, Hashem, Hashem told me, Hashem said, and I'm not going to contradict that. So wouldn't you know it? There's a beautiful story called the, what is it? The little, the little ram, the little white ram. It's the whole midrash of the, the Akidah ram that was set free from the Garden of Eden to get to the Akedah. From the moment that Abraham heard Hashem speak and say, bring your son up the mountain, that's when the gates of the garden open and let the ram out so that it can get to Mount Moriah. So from the time Hashem, command, Hashem asked Abraham to bring his son, that's when the ram was already making its way to the altar. The timing was supposed to be that when Abraham and Yitzhak got to the altar, the ram would already be on there, extending its neck to be slaughtered. But what ended up happening? The ram got caught in the thicket. But this, this story just breaks it all down and tells you all the details. There was a river placed in front of it. I had to jump over it. There was like a crazy, um, I think it was like a wolf or a lion or something tried to attack it. It had to defeat that. They had to run all the way up the mountain like this thing was going. And so all the challenges and this was the challenges reflected in Abraham and Yitzhak, both preparing themselves. Because here's the thing, as the ram was dealing with its battles, Abraham was dealing with his battles. Yitzhak was dealing with his battles. And so was Sarah, because the the Yetzahara, the Summit Mem went to each of them was like, Oh, Abraham, so you're going to offer your son? What are you going to tell your wife? Um, Yitzhak. So your dad totally said he's going to take you to Torah study. So did you know Torah study means you like he's going to kill you? <laughs> and just side note, the Torah, the, the sages tell us that how does one um, retain his Torah, that they have to kill themselves over it. So you have to be willing to die in your tent. You have to be willing to die to yourself in order for you to really gain something from Torah. You have to put to death the deeds of the body. You have to put to, to death your own personal ego, nullify yourself to the will of Hashem, accept the kingdom, the, the yoke of the kingdom upon yourself. So, I mean, all these different things. And so it was just kind of like, so your, your dad's Yitzhak is going to take you to Torah study. Well, did you know that means he's going to take you up the mountain and kill you? What about your mom? You were such a miracle baby. How do you think she's going to feel about that? He lied. I thought this was a weekend trip. 
And then you got Sarah going, well, you know, Abraham just woke up real early this morning and was like, all right, babe, see you later. Yitzhak and I are going to go somewhere. Uh, we'll be we'll be back. It's like, why did he say it like that? Because he's working on his Amuna right now. Like, okay, where are you going? Uh, out to worship Hashem on the mountain, on his mountain? I mean, think about that. Sarah's like, Abraham, like, what are you doing? You know? And then finds out he did what? Uh, you know, and then Parsha Kaye Sarah happens. So, I mean, all of those battles that each of them overcame was directly reflected in the battle that the ram had. And this is exactly what so many different sources bring down about the Mashiach sitting at the gates of Rome right now is that it's just like, okay, I'm finishing up my bandage of Zaharats. Is it time for the Geula? No, another Jew just committed Lashon Hara against another Jew. Okay, more When we're going to done with this, you know, like, are we done? No, they just destroyed the temple again. Okay, another Tishbab. Here we go. All right. This is happening because of us lacking. We just read Matthew 17. It was like harsh words from the Mashiach, like, perverse, like faithless, like where's your faith? Where's your belief? This is the things that we're really wrestling with. And again, we're fasting in the morning. What an opportune time. Parsha Zav, what an opportune time. Parsha Zav means literally command. Zav is the word connect. Hashem wants us to connect with him. Did you know there are so many beautiful things about the, the opening of the parsha, the whole thing about the ashes removing from the altar. The commentary on that is this is when we wake up in the morning and go use the restroom, and then we wash our hands and get ready for morning blessings. That's the equivalent of the high priest going to the altar, removing the ashes, changing his clothes, taking it to the outside of the camp. They say, yeah, that's us using the restroom and washing our hands in the morning. That's that's what that means. There's a whole breakdown of how a person gets ready in the morning and how it corresponds to the priestly duties before temple service starts. So you talk about us being the temple and us acting like a priest, like what? We're doing it in our daily practical lives. And it's just so amazing to think about. So anyway, that's living in the world. So that's all we're going to get to on that one. Earning a living. Section four, page 78. Living in the world which the Torah demands includes earning a living. This is why one of the biggest statements, this is never taught in other belief systems, by the way, which is kind of crazy. Everybody's like, oh, I'm going to see St. Peter at the gates. It's like, oh, so you're just so assuming that you're just going to go straight to Shemayim. Uh, you might want to check that attitude there. <laughs> the sages say there's three books open. There's like, oh, completely righteous, got it. And then the ones are like, I don't know about this. I'm kind of in between, which King David was first and foremost of that disposition. He was like, yeah, I don't know. Hashem, are we going to make it, man? Huh. You know, and then it says the other book is the completely wicked. Those are the three books that are opened up on Rosh Hashanah for judgment for everybody, Jew and non-Jew alike. So you mean to tell me you're just going to waltz up to the gate, right? Just, you don't even know about the gate. You know, where? how do you get there, right? Anyway, 
But everybody's like, oh, St. Peter's going to be like, da, 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 da. Ever once did you hear anyone say, if you want to go with the St. Peter analogy, I don't know why it's St. Peter and not Abraham, but that's a different story. Uh, uh, but no one ever goes, why doesn't St. Peter say, were you honest in your business dealings? Which, by the way, is a loaded question. Because we may think, do I own a business? And was I honest in it? I don't own a business, so that question doesn't apply to me. But guess what? I think we already read it in here. I, I don't remember. Uh, There's a whole thing about employer and employees. Yes, we did. That was one of the, yeah. Chapter six, if you need a review. The thing is, if you're employed to an employer, honest thing your business dealings is, clocking in on time, making sure you take your breaks, and not coming back late for your break and not uh, going on your break early and not being on break while you're supposed to be at work. Because a lot of times it's like, oh, my break is in five minutes. I'm just going to be on break right now. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. By the way, that's called dishonesty in your business dealings. Let me just read master plan. A life of productive work combined with tour study involves the whole personality, leaves no time for or inclination for destructive pursuits. It's like, man, I'm so tired. I gotta get home. I gotta pray and study Torah. Oh, I don't have time to sin. Where is my time to sin? I don't have it. <laughs> my kids need this. My wife needs that. My husband needs this. You know, all this kind of stuff. My job needs this. All that, right? My dog, my cat, all that. You don't got time for sin, which is beautiful in Judaism is that how do we overcome sin? We don't make time for it. Because why? What did the modern prophetess say so many years ago? Ain't nobody got time for that. I got bronchitis. You know, remember that? So she was she was all right, except for the bronchitis part. It's like, ain't nobody got time for that. I got Torah mitzvot to do. You know, I got to be honest in my business doing. Anyway, this is another meaning to uh, Kefa telling us about being sojourners in this world, understand that we're not home in this world. Because why? We got to earn a living. And it's crazy too, because in order for us to truly walk in life, you know, we have to, like, in a sense, we got to work for that. And that's antithetical to another doctrine and belief that's out there going, oh, don't do anything. You got all life and life abundantly without doing nothing. And it's like, I don't know about you, but in order for you to make it to a resort, you kind of have to resort to some productivity and resources. Same thing with Torah. In order for Purim to be as amazing as it is going to be, we got to work for it. We got to deal with all these crazy thoughts going, see, you don't need to do that. You, know, you ain't going to make it. Gas price is too high. Don't drive to shul. Don't. Don't turn on Zoom. You do something else. Like, no, we don't want to be a part of this. You don't want to hear the Megillah being read twice. Everybody knows Esther. Why you got to read it again? We got work for it. Knock them out. K-O. K to the Izzo. Amelik. Okay? If one runs one's business life in accordance with the principles laid down in the Torah, this gives ample opportunity for sanctifying God's name. And showing what human relationships can be like if guided by the mitzvot of the Torah. The beautiful thing about earning a living 
and having a job and being in the workplace is that people get to see the Torah. You represent the temple to people. You represent Yeshua to people. You represent Hashem to people. Like, that's the beauty of that. People will have to be like, dude, why are you the way you are? Do that. Why are you the way you are, girl? You know, because it's like, I live for Hashem. I'm in this world and not of it. You know, my, my life is not my own. My body's not my own. I was bought with a price. I'm built like this. Woke up like this. You know, all this kind of stuff. So halakha, uh, pres preservation of life, which is pikuak, not mesirut, but pikuak. So mesirut hanefesh is self-sacrifice, Esther form, Yeshua crucifixion. Pikuak nefesh is preserving your life, which means that if you try to fast, and it makes you faint, or if you get really, really ill and sick, then no, that's not what you're supposed to do. Pikua Kanefesh says, uh, you better go eat something because you could possibly die and we don't need you dying right now. You're to live by the Torah, not die by the Torah, which I know may sound a lot like, didn't we just say you have to be willing to die in your tent? You know, a man has to kill himself over the words of Torah. Yeah, that's Torah study. And that's not literally killing yourself because, you know, we don't take things literally around here. Well, I mean, there's things we actually take literally. But anyway, it says, Pekuach Hanefesh takes precedence over all the commandments of the Torah. What? 613 mitzvot. Okay, mitzvah number 222. Pekuach Hanefesh. Okay, Pekuach Hanefesh, mitzvah 222. Hang on a second. Wow, really? If a mitzvah is going to kill you or bring death to you, um, no, back up. Except idolatry, immorality, and murder. If it's one of those things, like if you got to go kill somebody because somebody told you just kill this person, like they didn't do anything wrong, there's nothing wrong with them. It's not like an act of legality. It's not any of that. It's like, oh, yeah, just go around and kill people. No. Because it's like, well, they said if I don't do it, then I'd kill them. It's like, well, sorry, that's not Pekuaka Nefesh. Immorality, murder, you can't just go around doing all those things because of Pekuaka Nefesh. I'm just trying to live, man. It's like, no, those are the three cardinal sins. Those sins destroyed the temple. So guess what? If you do those sins, you're destroying your temple as well. So actually by you thinking, there's a way that seems right to a man, but ultimately leads to death. Well, that's what happens with these three. Um, to avoid these cardinal sins, one must be prepared to sacrifice one's life. What value has life if we betray our basic loyalty to God? This is considered basics in our relationship with Hashem. Our uh, keeping away from idolatry not being immoral and not killing people. Those are like basic. If you need like the top three, or if you just want one job, <laughs> pick one of those and just don't do it. And it's like, boom, done. Basic requirements fulfilled. Although one is not strictly obliged to risk one's life to save another's, this refers to a serious risk. Minor risks must be taken. So, you know, this is the, the incident of uh, saving someone who's drowning, 
someone who's hanging off a precarious cliff or something like that. Okay, yeah, try to do what you can, but like you're not like necessarily obligated in a serious, crazy situation, however uh, extreme you want to go with it. But obviously, Hashem has given us discernment. He gives us the ability to to operate in those times, and we really want to try to do the best we can. So, obviously, keeping that in mind. It is a mitzvah to risk one's life in a war for the defense of the people of Israel. This is a huge part of uh, Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2. Um, there's a whole chapter that you can read about people who join the IDF, whether they love Hashem or not, but the fact that they're trying to defend the Jewish people, that is a great merit in the eyes of Hashem, so much so that it can work as a uh, element of teshuva, forgiveness, atonement, and repentance, like for a person. So whenever you're doing something to defend the Jewish people, it actually does so much for you. It is a great, great mitzvah to do that. So if you think about what Esther did again in Purim, man, she was able to stand up and be like, listen, Pesach, we're not doing it right now. We're going to deal with saving the Jews. Yeshua, by the way, was in that same boat. Can't deal with Pesach right now. I got to save not only the Jews, but the whole entire world. So I will not be doing the Seder tonight. I will be offering myself up. So, uh, yeah. Want to be like the Messiah? There's that. Okay. So with the little bit of time we have left, I want to go to uh, some aspects of prophecy here that I did not get to uh, in the drosh because one of the big things we have to realize is that we are powerful together. And ultimately with the final redemption, it's really more about us as a mishpacha, us as a family. Because, you know, Yisrael is a family. It's not necessarily that we're this nation, we're this faith system, we're this people group, we're this uh, race or whatever. It's like we're literally a family. You know, it was a mother and a father who started this, you know, so we're all basically distant relatives. And you add in the whole aspect of conversion and all of that and what that does. And, you know, we begin to be cousins, long lost cousins, all that kind of stuff. But we're a family. And it's really when we're all together, Kol Yisrael, there literally is no sin. There's no ability to sin at that level. Well, with that comes when we ultimately unify the spirit of prophecy, the revelation of the Mashiach, the building of the temple, death being removed from the world, Alam Haba getting started up, transitioning into it through the Messianic era. All that kind of stuff comes through us being together. And um, I guess the best thing I can use at this point is, um, what is it? Uh, is it going to be Captain Planet? You know, when everybody put all their rings together, Captain Planet shows up. Or is it going to be the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers where they were all able to use their powers and do the whole Megazord thing? And then you got the whole Voltron aspect. Hang on. I got all sorts of stuff going on here. Get out of the way. Okay. Anyway, so all of that to say, being unified and being cold Yisrael is the point. All of Yisrael, all of us together. And again, to mention the beautiful uh, imagery that was brought down the Musar class a couple of weeks ago, when we're davening, have uh, mental pictures in our mind. 
Think about standing together shoulder to shoulder with your fellow brothers of Israel, past, present, and future. So this means pretend like you're standing next to Malachi or standing next to Kepha or standing next to Yochanan or standing next to Moshe, standing next to whoever that you read in the Tanakh. Imagine yourself standing with them and you're all davening. Like that's the power we have. So we're all nullified to the words of prayer. And there's like a big whoosh uh, prophecy just takes off at that point, which is a, a higher level of the Holy Spirit, by the way. So Vayikra Rabbah says this. Can I zoom? Oh, my goodness. It works. Vayikra Rabbah 1.11. The other thing, too, is that because of what we as Jews do, we also bring uh, salvation and rectification to the world. Check this out. You find that before the tabernacle was erected, when the nations of the world would hear the sound of the divine word, like when Hashem would speak, uh, it says, Hu umot ha'ulam, the nations of the world, uh, shomeim kol ha'dibur. When the nations of the world would hear the sound of the words, like hadavar, the words of Hashem, when Hashem would speak, this was before the Mishkan. This is why I was telling you, if you haven't read uh, the Kehelot, Kehot Tehillim, the big green book, as we call it, on Psalm 29, please read it. It's, uh, it's absolutely incredible. The nations of the world basically were like, what is happening? Is there about to be another flood? Is the world about to go back to Genesis 1-1? You know, like before there was anything, formless and void, are we about to go back to that? And Balaam was like, nah, everybody calm down. Shem's just giving the Torah to Israel. Like, that's what's going on. It's okay. It's not a big deal. I don't know why we're not at the mountain, but, it, you know. Anyway, it says they would lose control and defecate in the midst of their palaces. Man, we want to talk about a crappy situation. Okay, so, yeah. So, when we built the Mishkan... We uh we took care of cleanup on aisle 70 nations. Uh, the other thing, this right here, uh, Rabbi Simone said the divine word would go forth from God and take two different forms. So you know that thing where people are like, oh, the Torah is so oppressive, it's death, bah, oh, you know, like being all dramatic. Well, guess what? The Torah does have two forms. It has life, if you're for Israel, as a life-giving agent. Look at this. Chaim le-Yisrael. It is life. Torah is life to Yisrael, which means if you're a Torah observant, if it just makes your day, if you're on cloud 89,000 because of Torah, like, I just ate a piece of halal, lit candles, whatever. Um. There you go. If you ever needed to know, were you Jewish or not? And then it says, Vesam Hamavit. Now look at this word, Sam. Sam, Samik Mim, is the letters for the Yetzahara. It's also the letters for drug. And it's also the letters for spice and fragrance, like Vesamim, like the, the Havdalah blessing over the spices. Listen. The spices, the fragrance, the poison of death, the concoction that brings death, le'umotaolam, to the nations of the world. 
So if you were anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, all that kind of stuff, all the Torah is doing for you is being a, a like what Juliet drunk and then what Romeo drunk. And like, it was just like, they're dead, they're out. You know, it's just like, it's it's gone. And not to mention Samik Mim, the Yatahara and how if it's unchecked and left out of control, it literally becomes a poison to us. It's a deadly poison. This is the divine word of Hashem. What? I mean, wow. Okay. So anyway, uh, then it also says, Rabbi Kia taught from the tent of meeting. This teaches that the voice of the divine word would stop and did not go outside the tent of meeting. So basically, when we built the Mishkan, we encapsulated the Torah, Hashem's voice, everything about that, and put it like, boom, right there. It's, it's contained now. Now people can safely take from it. This is also the implication that we read from Handbook of Jewish Thought about the Bible, that because the, the Torah has been put in the form of the Bible, it's like we've encapsulated it like we did the voice of Hashem in the Mishkan so people can safely glean from it. Because people can still get Torah just from reading 1 Corinthians, whether they know it or not. And it's just like, so when they finally find that connection, it's going to blow their mind. I'm like, I was studying a piece of Talmud. Talmud's witchcraft, man. It's like, well, you read 1 Corinthians 6 and you were totally okay with it. But you just should know that was in the Talmud. It's like, man, come on. What parsha then? Connected to the Torah for me. Connected. Okay. Leviticus chapter 6, parsha Zab. Sometimes we read this around Pesach. Sometimes we read this around Purim. Man, Jewish holidays, Jewish, oh, come on, man. Anyway, so that's in the Midrash. Now, the reason why I love, I wanted to break it down this way is because when Hashem called out to Moshe for Parsha Vayikra, this is the scenario. The voice of Hashem is so loud that it caused crazy things to happen to the people of the world. We put it in the Mishkan. So that when Hashem was speaking, it was still in that same loudness, but it was channeled directly and only Moshe was able to hear it. And this was like, we set it up, the cloud came down, the Ruach HaKodesh was on it, all that stuff, right? And Hashem would speak and it was only Moshe who was able to hear it. Then Moshe was able to tell Aharon and his sons, the 70 elders, and they were able to tell all of Israel. So there was like this four-step process of bringing all of the Torah down to everyone. So Torah was repeated like four times before it even got to common um, declaration and teaching. So then all of that would happen and then we would take that out to the world. So we had this huge uh, gradient of bringing out all of the Torah to the world because we had to kind of filter it down. We had to kind of tailor it so that it wouldn't um, be such a potion of death to people. So this is some of the things that were going on, and this is all connected to prophecy, by the way. So uh, one of the things it says in the footnote, the tabernacle and afterward the temple from Tankuma, uh, Tankuma Taruma 9, says was beneficial for the nations of the world because it contained the divine word within its precincts, such that it would not spread out and enter their houses with the harmful effects described above. Again, remember, we are the temple, right? The Ruach HaKodesh is in us. 
which the Ruach HaKodesh is synonymous with the scriptures. The Midrash Rabbah at some points go, well, the Holy Spirit says, i.e. the scriptures, like that's codified in Midrash Rabbah. That's how it's seen, which is prophesying. So Nevuah is the Hebrew word for prophecy. Nevuah means to flow out. I think that's in here, but I don't know if I'll get to it. So I'm trying to go quickly so I don't take too much time. About another 10 minutes. So if you have to dismiss yourself, please do. Uh, thank you for being here. Hug Purim Sameach. May everyone have such a joyous, amazing time. Uh, we have a Zoom scheduled for Purim Day. Uh, we're going to try to stick to the 10 a.m. time frame. So just stay posted on our uh, Signal and Facebook group. So thank you for being here tonight and many blessings and a lot of tov to those who have to leave. Okay, so uh, going on, it says, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa. We're now in 113 of the Midrash Shabbat for Vayikra. Parsha Vayikra still. This is last week notes. Um, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa said it may be compared to a king who was situated in a parlor room with his friend and there was a curtain placed between them. The drawn footnote, the drawn curtain represents a lack of clarity and directness in the prophetic vision. So this is where uh, Shlomo's favorite drop. So shouts out to Shlomo Ben Hillel. May he live and be well. Shlomo Ben, ben Hillel. May he live and be well. Uh, uh, live and be well. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, this is all connected to 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 18. But their hearts or but their minds were hardened for up to this very day, the same veil remains unlifted at the reading of the ancient covenant. What in the world? This is Parashakitisa post sin of the golden calf. We put up a veil. So we became on the level of the way that this allegory talks about. It may be compared to a king who was situated in a parlor room with his friend and there was a curtain placed between them. So we put a veil over ourselves because of the sin of the golden calf, which is this. For up to this very day, the same veil remains unlifted at the reading of the ancient covenant since in Mashiach it's passing away. So through Mashiach and bringing us back to the level of Adam and Hava before the sin, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is like bringing all of Israel back before the sin of the golden calf, because those are the same. The sin of the tree of good and evil with the golden calf, those both are equal. And the way that they brought death into the world took away the immortality of the people who committed them. So Israel was immortal. We were like Adam before the fall, before the golden calf. And this is where Mashiach is going to bring us. All of the work that the Mashiach does, he brings us back to that level, which means he takes away the veil. He takes away the mask that we told Moshe to put on himself. And in Purim, where we take away the mask, where we finally find out Hashem is actually here. He's hidden. And through us reading the Megillah and doing everything that we do during Purim, we're bringing that which is concealed to a place that it is revealed, and it's revealed in us. This is why we were victorious on the 13th of Adar, because it was like, finally, the Jewish people are together, Hashem is here, he's among us, and we're ready, we're ready to be done with exile, let's get on with it. Which is why shortly after the whole incident of Purim, 
Later is the temple. The temple finally gets built. The second temple gets built. But anyway, so that's what this Corinthians passage is talking about. Here's the thing. It says that um, when Moses read, a veil covers their heart. But whenever someone turns to Hashem, the veil is taken away. Now, Hashem is the spirit. And where the Ruach of Hashem is, which is the spirit of Hashem, there is freedom. This is why they say it's freedom on the tablets. The, the sapphire tablets were uh, engraved. And the same word for engraved is also freedom when you change the vowel points. The, the letters that were engraved on the tablets were pierced all the way through, just like Yeshua was. He was pierced, so you can literally see through him, just like you could the tablets. And the letters Samic and Mem, which are letters that look exactly like circles, the centerpiece, even though those tablets were pierced, floated miraculously within the tablets. Those centerpieces did not fall out. And the sages tell us that this gave us victory over the Yetahara. It gave us victory over the nation so that we would never, ever be exiled. Had we received the sapphire tablets, we would have never died. We would have never sinned. We wouldn't, well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that because you could have still done it. You could have just like smashed the tablets like we did. But um, you definitely would have been free from the Yetzahara dominating you. You wouldn't have more of a proclivity to sin. That's the word I was using, or looking for. So you would be free from the proclivity of sinning. And you can already see this in Mashiach that he fills us up so much. Sometimes, depending on the day and the level that we reach, sometimes you're just kind of like, man, psh, I'm out on sin today. Boy, I tell you what. The devil just lost one, you know, kind of thing. You start getting that mentality. But anyway, that happens sometimes. But it's like because we're we're in the process, it's transitioning. So it's not complete yet, but we're getting there. So this is why we need Mashiach to arrive to finish the work. Mashiach ben Yosef starts the process. Mashiach ben David completes that process. Boom. Okay. So with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God. So remember how we were afraid to look at Moshe's face. That was a mirror of the face of God, quote unquote, because we know it wasn't literally God's face because all of that. Right. But anyway, but we would have never told Moshe, cover that up. We don't want to see it. We would have been like, oh, that's what we look like. Oh, my gosh. Again, I mentioned this earlier in class. We are more than just our bodies. We will see what we look like through this revelation, through being in the Mashiach. Bringing us back to who we were. Okay, this is what the shiny labor, the, the wash basin in the courtyard does. This is why we're called, this is the first place you go when before you do your priestly service. This is what, this is represented by us washing our hands in the morning. Netilat yadayim. It's like going to the shiny labor. That's where you get to see who you are. You get to behold right here. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of God being transformed into the image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord who is spirit. That's what the Kohanim and the Leviim were doing every single day. They were literally embodying this verse, which is meaning that this is why you can read different commentaries that calls the Kohen Hagadol the angel of Hashem. Okay, so to the point, this is what Shama loves, Midrash Rabbah 1. 1, uh, 1, 14. It says, what is the difference between the way Moshe perceived his prophecy and the way all the other prophets perceived theirs? Rabbi Yehuda bar Eli and the other sages discussed this issue. Rabbi Yehuda said, 
Other prophets viewed their prophecies through nine screens. So that was enough to stop Shlomo. He was just like, what in the world? Well, here it is. Our translation follows H. Yosef, see Rashi to Sukkah 45b, Targum to Job 28.17. However, uses the word aspaklara to translate the Hebrew word zekukit, which is glass. So it's like a screen versus a glass. It's like a mirror versus like a, a, a veil. That's the difference between these two words. And this is more Aramaic. This is Hebrew. Okay, so if you have a Targum, you can look those two words up. It's amazing. So it is likely that even if this is taken to mean screen, a vision seen through an Aspaklara, or even many, <coughs> I don't even know how to say the plural of that word, so I apologize. Let me give it a try. Ispaklariot. Um, Ispaklariot. Okay, so there, there's that. Uh, which, by the way, the word for doubt is in here. Safek, Samik, Pe, Kuf, which is the same gematria as Amelik. So seeing through shades of doubt is what we're talking about here. Taking away the veil, being in the Mashiach, being in the freedom where the spirit of Hashem is, wipes out Amelik, wipes out doubt. Moshe had zero doubt, and basically what he heard and saw from Hashem is the point. So, sorry to cut away from that. Um, I'm way over time. I just want to mention this. This is the last point, and we're done. Okay. Um, prophecy and divine inspiration. This is from Rabbi Trugman Shlita, pages one and two. It is highly significant that Rambam lists a belief in the truth of prophets even before the principle that the Torah we have now is the same as the one given to Moshe. Rabbi Trugman's like, isn't it interesting? Rambam was like, prophecy and prophets, and then we'll believe in the Torah. Uh, that's such a ninja insight that it's like, wait, what? Prophets first and then Torah? Which means... When you look at Jewish thought, Jewish thought says, well, if you believe in the prophets, then obviously you're okay with the Torah. Obviously, you're okay with Moshe if you believe in the prophets, which would mean, obviously, if you believe in Yeshua, you believe in the Torah. So that's a disconnect that's got to be fixed. It's almost getting fixed. We're almost there. It's getting better. That says, in this way, Rambam is making a subtle and structural statement about the fundamental role of prophecy within Judaism. For from a logical point of view, if we did not believe in the words of the prophets, first and foremost, of Moshe was of which Moshe was the greatest. So here's the thing: if you do not believe in prophets, you don't believe in Moshe, because Moshe was considered the greatest of the prophets. We just read it. All the other prophets, nine screens. Moshe, clear as day, zero doubt. Which means, if you can get with Moshe, you know the Torah is legit. If, you, if you're dealing with prophets, then you know Moshe is legit. If you're dealing with Moshe, you know the Torah is legit. If you're dealing with the Torah, you know Hashem is legit. It works that way so much so Hashem says, you can forsake me and keep my Torah. I'd rather you just roll with the Torah than roll with me. 
And the sages are like, wait, what? Because the Torah is going to lead us to Hashem. That's what the thing is. So here's the crazy part. This is wild. But those people who are so fixated on JC, when the revelation finally goes down, it's going down for real. Hopefully on Purim. Hopefully on Pesach. Hopefully this year. Okay, anyway, when that all happens, they're going to be like, wait, what? The whole time? Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that a prophecy is ridiculous. Like, veils taken away? It's going to be outrageous. So, yeah. So, anyway, divine inspiration, prophecy. There's the word Navua. The same uh, word Navi is uh, re related to that word. Uh, the root... The three root letter of that, uh, did I put that in here? Noon, bet, aleph. The aleph and the ayin are considered very close to each other. Their consonantal functions almost identical. Uh, so, yeah, between the eyes and the light, uh, noon, bet, you have the expression of fruit bearing, teeth, tooth. It's all in there, like all this kind of stuff. But the, ma the main part is I just wanted to say that prophecy. It comes down through the Torah when we're all together. And this is one of the things that's going to happen to the, the whole world. Hashem pours out his spirit on all flesh. All people will be prophesying, all that kind of stuff. There were so many different prophets. There were millions of prophets uh, during the time of the temple. And that was lost with the destruction of the second temple for sure. But even after the Purim incident, you can read about that at Handbook Jewish Style Volume 1. But it shall return with the arrival of Mashiach and the third temple speedily in our days, Baruch Hashem Adonai. And our blessing for after studying the Torah found on page 141. Am I going to be able to find that? Let's see here. Where is the Torah service? Uh, Torah service? No. Torah service? No. Yes, maybe. I know it's out there, Shimon Esrei, so let's look. Let's see what we got here. Uh, next. I should have went and bookmarked this page, but I apologize. Okay, so it's on 141. So if I back up, what page is this? Yay, digital seduers. <laughs> I don't have 141 in here. How tragic. Okay, but I do, however, have the blessing over here. At the end of the notes, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Asher natan lanu Torah emet vechayel nam natav etokenu baruch ata adonai notain ha Torah. We want Mashiach now. Baruch abav b'shem adonai. Laila tov, everyone. May you have an easy fast and a meaningful fast. Be victorious over Amalek and enjoy Purim. Bezrat Hashem. See you soon.